Welcome to the Vine Life Podcast. We're a church in Manchester who love Jesus, each other, and our city. Catch up on this week's message and more. Thanks. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Anna. Um, yeah, just uh, normally when people get up and kind of introduce themselves, they introduce themselves via their spouse and children. Um, that's not going to happen today, but also not an invitation to matchmake. Um, <laughs> just FYI. Um, so instead, I just thought I'd give a little bit of an extra plug for under 18s because I grew up in this church. Like I've literally been here since I was about a week old. Um, and there are people in this room who have like sewed stuff into me as I, as I grew up that really boosted my faith. And if I say anything heretical today, also they're the reason why. Um, just, yeah. Um, so yeah. It's, it's great to be here, and I really love the book of Exodus, and I'm really excited to get to talk about it. Um, we've not got a huge amount of time today, and we also have about 20 chapters to cover, so I'm kind of going to rattle on through, um, just because I actually want to get to all of it, because I'm really excited about it. Um, but just to kind of give a tiny bit of an overview of where we've been, and where we're going to land today. Um, yeah, we've had an amazing time about the book of Exodus the last few weeks. Um, And I just wanted to kind of lift out four things that I've taken away from this last few weeks, Um, specifically about where we find God's presence in the book of Exodus. Um, So firstly, we find that God's presence is freeing. So he liberates his people out of Egypt and throughout the book of Exodus, he reminds the people of Israel, he freed them out of Egypt. And that's really important for who they are as a people. Secondly, God's presence is physical. He is physically there among his people and he provides for their physical needs. So if you look at um, what what M. Bankhead spoke about amazingly a few weeks ago, he physically provided for them out in the wilderness. Um, Thirdly, God's presence is present among his people. Um, We're going to see today how God's presence is tangible and comes down in clouds and fire and smoke on top of Mount Sinai. Um, And fourthly, as I've already kind of said, God's presence identifies his people. So he says to them, you will be my people and I will be your God. That's something that's repeated throughout the Old Testament and New Testament again. Like God's presence identifies his people as belonging to him. So that's really important. Um, But I also just wanted to pause for a second and notice that we also see in the book of Exodus that God's presence is a little bit scary sometimes. It's a little bit jarring for those of us who have grown up in a Western church with like the whole Holy Spirit is your friend, God loves you, like that is all true. But God's presence brings 12 plagues on Egypt. God's presence kills hundreds of people after the golden calf thing. Like God's presence is scary and powerful and awe-inspiring and it is okay to be a little bit rattled by hearing about that. Um, so that that is okay if if you felt a little bit like the last few weeks um but it also points to the fact that being God's people means taking his presence seriously it means that we want to encounter his presence but we don't want to treat it as an additional extra or bonus God's presence is immense and awe-inspiring and should be treated with respect um so we're going to look today at some of the ways we do that. The reason, the reasons why God's people treat his presence seriously and how they respond to his presence. So we're going to look at the covenant. Um, so the covenant is the agreement by which God would dwell with and stay with his people. 
We're going to look at the tabernacle and the instructions for building the tabernacle. Um, the tabernacle is the physical place where God's presence would dwell with and stay with his people. And then we're going to look at the journey towards the promised land. So the, that journey is really important for the identity of the Israelites again. And it it leads towards the promised land, which is the home for God and his people to dwell together. And all of this is found in Exodus 19 through 40. So we've got, like I say, quite a lot to rattle through. Um, but for me, this whole section is actually the bit of Exodus that as an adult, I've really come to appreciate most. Um, it's the bit you don't really learn about as a kid because it's a little bit boring. It's a lot of instructions. You kind of just skip on through it. But it's really important because it shows that the Israelites learn what, it's, what it looks like to build a home for the presence of God among themselves. So there's some literal physical instructions for architecture, building work, a little bit of interior design in the tabernacle. Um, but there's also like a whole lot of house rules. Like you go into homes sometimes, there's like, these are our house rules written on the fridge. This is what will happen if you don't follow the house rules. That's essentially what's happening here, but for a whole nation of people. Um, so we're going to dive in first with the covenant, which is, again, the agreement by which God will dwell with and stay with his people. And we find the covenant and the tabernacle, the instructions for building the tabernacle, I should say, um, in Exodus 19 to 24 is where we find the covenant. And then in 25, we'll jump into the tabernacle in a minute. Um, so the covenant and the tabernacle, they're really important to the writers and the later editors of Exodus because they're big chunk of the book and they're actually repeated about twice in the book of exodus in general with the old testament if you see things repeated more than once they're super important um so we need to take these things seriously and not just kind of skip on past them as a bit of a boring thing um so i just kind of wanted to say i'm not going to read out 20 chapters of the bible today that would take a long time um please do go away and read them for yourselves after this. And as ever, I'm going to give the weekly plug to the Bible Project. Go check out their videos. They're amazing. And will kind of, like they have for me, inspire you hopefully to read more of the Old Testament law because it's really exciting. So when it comes to the covenant, we're looking at chapters 19 to 25 of Exodus. Um, and we're going to kick it off with the setup to the covenant. So Exodus 19 verse 3 to 6 says, then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So, what we see here is God speaking identity of his people. He's, he says what he's going to do for them, and he reminds them of how he's been with them in the, in the past and in the recent past in Egypt. So God then goes on after this to warn the Israelites of the importance of purifying themselves before him, and he actually limits them from coming up the mountain with Moses and Aaron. Um, he des he's descending to the mountain in fire and smoke, he could have burned them all up doing that. So he's kind of saying, stay away for your own safety. And if you do come near me, purify yourselves. Um, it's a pretty awe-inspiring image. It's kind of terrifying. Um, this is the God who has chosen this people. He saved them. 
and he's promising he's going to create them into his own people down multiple generations. It's not just a promise for today, it's a promise for the centuries to come. Um, and that's really important when we start to look at the kind of specifics of what the covenant means for the Israelites, because it's not just a bunch of rules. It's based on a God who is promising that they will be his people for generations to come. And more than that, he's reminding them of what his presence among them does. His presence saves and frees them. His presence dwells among them and his presence identifies them as his possession. And so God is basically saying here that he's going to go with Israel to the promised land and he's going to bless them with what they've dreamed of if they keep this covenant. So they're not conditions, these terms that we're going to come to. They're responses to his presence. And so we're going to jump into the terms of the covenant. So the instructions slash laws slash terms that we find here start really big in concept and they kind of zoom in as we move through. So we kick it off with the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Um, I'm not going to read them all out, but some of them should come up on the screen behind me. Um, so again, the Ten Commandments start with a reminder to Israel that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And basically, this is the statement that justifies the rest of the commandments, the rest of the terms of the covenant. Because of who God is and how he has saved them, the presence of God among his people demands a response that they are pure, that they honor God, and that they dedicate themselves to God. Um, so the first set of laws are about how this nation presents themselves before God. They're identified by God first, and then, as we go through, they're identified by how they treat one another, how they build this community. And so we then jump into what I describe as the laws of social responsibility. I really like this section because I love a little bit of social responsibility. Um, so this is in Exodus 21 and 22. And these laws set out how the nation was to behave as a community. These are really practical laws and they're really important practically for this community because this is a community that have just left an authoritarian state of oppression where they were slaves. They didn't get to make their own rules. They didn't get to make their own laws. So this sets out how they were going to behave as a society. They need these laws to govern themselves. Otherwise, it will devolve into something a little bit crazy. And actually, if you know anything about the rest of the ancient Near East, which is the kind of time period and location we're looking at here, other tribes and other nations had some really well, what we would describe as really dodgy rules. So things like child sacrifice mm -hmm. would probably be frowned on today. But, you know, they were fairly common practice at the time. Um, and so Israel needed these rules to set themselves apart. Um, and these laws, they set God right at the centre of his people. They don't shove him to one side and say, this is just how you're going to behave, forget God. God is the reason for all these rules being made. And so God's presence among his people actually demands justice and compassion towards the vulnerable because that reflects who God has shown himself to be in saving Israel out of Egypt. So Exodus 22 verse 20 to 24 says, whoever sacrifices to any God other than the Lord must be destroyed. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner for you were foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. So these laws are, again, pretty hardcore. But 
they prioritize first the worship of God and then the protection of groups who would be the most vulnerable in any society, right? Women, children, foreigners. Again, God is calling back here to how Israel were treated in Egypt and what he saved them out of. So his presence among his people demands they respond with justice in their community because of who he is. And then after all this, we get into the section that talks about how the community were to worship God. And then God makes them a whole bunch of promises in response to this whole covenant. So that's found in Exodus 23 and 24. So here we're zooming in again on how Israel is going to stand out from other nations around them. So Sabbath laws and festivals serve a load of different purposes, both practically and spiritually. It's never just one or the other here, it's both. Um, These laws remind people to worship, they remind people of their identity in relation to God, and they also bring personal and community rest and togetherness, a little bit like what we were talking about before about being on team. You get to be part of a community, you get to come together, but you also worship God through doing that. So these laws support remembrance of history, freedom and rest for people, animals, and the environment, and most importantly, worship and entering the presence of God. None of these things are actually separated from one another. You can't, essentially, you can't destroy the environment while saying, God, we love you. You have to do all of those things together. And all of these things are actually necessary to God's presence remaining with his people. So we end this section about the covenant with God's promise that he's going to send an angel to prepare the way to the promised land. He's going to clear out the land ahead of Israel and he's going to establish borders to that land. Again, as long as Israel keeps the covenant and doesn't stray away from God, his presence among them is central to their current and future identity down the generations. And God seals the covenant by dwelling with Moses for 40 days and 40 nights on top of Mount Sinai. Um, So Exodus 24, verse 15 to 18. When Moses went up the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. And then Moses entered the cloud as he went upon the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So as we exit this section about the covenant, we're seeing a small example of its fulfillment. God dwells with Moses on top of the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. But God didn't just want to dwell on top of this mountain with one person. He wanted to dwell in the center of his people. He wanted to meet with them all. So we then get into a section of Exodus about the creation and setup and the rules around the tabernacle, because the tabernacle is the place that God planned to meet with his people. So that is found in Exodus 25 to 31. And it's literally six chapters on how to set up and run the tabernacle. It's a lot of words about a tent because that's what the tabernacle was initially. But it's a tent where God's presence dwelled, so it was really important. Um, It literally instructs in really, really specific detail the materials, design, and the ceremonies that defined the dwelling place of God. Um, So rather than read out all six chapters, which will take a long time, 
I've instead come up with three reasons why the building of the tabernacle is important for you all to read in the hopes that you will then go away and read it. So um, firstly, um, the setting up and the building of the tabernacle was based on free offerings from the people. So Exodus 25 verse 1 to 9 says, The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ramskins dyed red and and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. And then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Again, comes across as a little bit of a shopping list in some ways, but actually there is something at the heart of this that shows God's compassion and beauty. This is the creation of a dwelling place for God from the best this nation had. It was based on free offerings, on the hearts of the people being prompted to give. There was no pressure used and no force used to demand things from the people. And this is really important because this people, remember, are newly freed out of Egypt. They have had things taken from them. They have been held in slavery. So actually being given the opportunity to give freely is a really empowering thing for them. So I just wanted to ask here, just as a prompt. Um, how do we respond to the presence of God in our lives? How do we react to our newfound freedom? Offering, you know, we pass the buckets around, but it's not a demand. But we also see here that giving an offering is a privilege. It's true worship as a response to God's presence with us. So that, that's the first reason, based on free offerings. Um, the second reason the instructions for creating the tabernacle are great is that they included all the people. Um, so individual craftspeople are literally named in the instructions, those with the skills to use, but everyone is named as being invited to contribute. Men, women, children, priests, worshippers, everyone. And everyone brings the best they have in response to God's presence with them. Everyone in this community is shown as being essential to this new nation. And I just wanted to take a moment to say that if anyone is here today and you feel like you're not needed in the running of church or you're kind of extra to requirements, you're absolutely not. You are so welcome and you enrich us by being here. You are so needed as part of this church community. And that is reflected throughout the Bible and And especially, I think, in this passage in the Old Testament, everyone is needed for the kingdom of God. Everyone is invited to respond to his presence. And so we move on to our third reason why the instructions for building the tabernacle are really important. And that is that the presence of God is central to it. So if you think about other places of worship in the ancient kingdoms, Gods are represented by statues or idols. There is not a specific space created for the God to exist among the people, except in the tabernacle, which is literally built around a room where the presence of God is planning to dwell. 
it's a, re it's a massive distinction in terms of how this community were to worship and meet with God. It really marked Israel out from other nations. God's presence was intended to fill this house and meet with his people. So again, looking at this, it's something to ask about when we're building our community as a church family. It's a reminder that God's presence is the purpose. We build ourselves around God's presence. We don't invite God as extra. And so Moses continues to dwell with God on the top of the mountain, receives these instructions and brings them down to show his people. And he finds them worshipping a golden calf. Emma Hodges did an amazing um, talk on this last week, so I'm not going to dive through it again. But I think it's just important to pause and reflect on how devastating that must have been. He, Moses had just come down out of the presence of God with such freeing, identifying instructions for his people, and they've rejected it to worship a golden calf, which they've built out of the things that were intended to build the tabernacle. So, yeah, it's just horrible. Um, and Moses goes back up the mountain after dealing with that and encounters God again and begs him to stay with the people. And we hit what for me is actually the central point of the book of Exodus, what Karim read out in the video. Exodus 33, verse 15 to 16. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with our people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? God's presence brings to life the covenant, the home, and the identity of this people. God's presence alone is the key. These laws that they've just been given would be dry and dead without God's presence among them. The tabernacle would be a beautiful tent, but it would just be a tent unless God's presence filled it. And so a tent couldn't be the fullness of God's promise to Israel. He had also promised them a land where he and the people would dwell together. And so they start to move towards this physical home that God has promised to them um, in the rest of Exodus chapters 34 through 40. So Moses has gone back up Mount Sinai and God restarts this section by reaffirming who he is. Exodus 34 verse 5 to 7 says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. So God is here reaffirming his promises to Israel. He's create, he creates new stone tablets that Moses takes down to the people. He reiterates the covenant and the instructions for building the tabernacle again. And he reiterates the instructions for the Israelites to worship him and only him. And we find two things here that can seem to contradict each other, but actually I don't think they do. The first thing 
is that we see that who God is, is not changed by the actions of people. He remains the same compassionate and gracious God that he's always been. The same instructions are repeated again. There's nothing added to them, nothing punishing the people for their actions, nothing taking away from them. He's reiterating the same promises he made the first time round. But we also see again here the power and the terrifying nature of a good God who is also just. The Israelites have really messed up and God has forgiven them in his compassion and his mercy. But God can't just overlook sin. It's not in his nature to be able to do that. So God is going to go with his people to the promised land. He has forgiven them, but he's not giving them a free pass to go forward and sin again. He's calling an end to that time and saying no more. And actually, the Israelites do follow God's instructions this time. They create the tabernacle. So Exodus ends with chapter 40 and the Israelites setting out towards the promised land, led by God. His presence does remain with them. So verse 33 to 38 says, Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar, and he put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard, and Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they didn't set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. So we end Exodus with the presence of God going with Israel towards their promised land. But there is still a separation there. A curtain is set up. There is still a courtyard there. People can't just enter the presence of God. And so, actually, the story doesn't end at the end of Exodus because the Israelites get to the promised land. They build a proper temple. God enters the Holy of Holies, but there is still a separation there with a curtain. And actually, the temple was a finite building. There are more exiles. The temple is burnt down a couple of times. All of the artifacts, the stone tablets, the Ark of the Covenant are stolen a load of different times. So actually, this was not the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. We find that fulfillment in the New Testament, actually in three places in the New Testament. So the first ending that we see is this man who is also fully God, Jesus, dying in a slow and painful death on a cross, despite having done nothing wrong. He declares it is finished and he dies and the curtain in the temple is torn in two. There is no more separation of God's people and his presence. Then secondly, we find a locked upper room where some terrified followers of Jesus who died and rose to life again are praying. Holy Spirit descends in tongues of fire on them and they go out and preach the good news in many languages that God dwells among his people. And the church is born for all people and all nations to gather around the presence of God. 
And then finally, we see the outworking of this in the letters of the New Testament. The church has been established across yet another oppressive empire. This is a church of living stones built on the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. These are people who are gathered around the presence of God in communities that expand around the world and down the generations to today, where we find ourselves here today, welcoming the presence of God again, among us, a church community. So we're right in the middle of the end of the story that we started in Exodus, right? We are the church. We are the living stones built on the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ coming to meet with God on a Sunday morning. And God does dwell among us. We saw that this morning in worship. Um, He leads us in that worship. He leads us to our true identity as his children. He leads us in right and just living in response to his presence with us. So we are a living temple, freely able to dwell with the full mighty presence of God every day. Um, And so those four things that I mentioned at the start about what we've learned of God's presence in Exodus, they are still true for us today. God's presence frees us. He brought us out of slavery to sin through his death and resurrection. God's presence is physical. He provides for our needs. He meets with us. God's presence is present. We saw that this morning. We see it every time we encounter God. And God's presence identifies us as his children, freely able to meet with him every day and together as a community. Um, and so that's that's where I want to end. So, yeah, I'll invite Ralph and Karim back up. Hope you enjoyed today's message. If you want to find out more, head to our website, findlife.co.uk, or follow us on Instagram. God bless and see you soon.